Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio, excuse me, the Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, June 5th, marks our 124th program. And one of these days, I'll stop referring to the show as uh, Actus Radio. <laughs> so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Laceration Repairs in ICD-10 PCS. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Uh, Laurie is the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus in Middleton, Mass., She's the developer and lead instructor for the Actus CDI Bootcamp line and is an Actus subject matter expert. I want to welcome her back to the show, so thanks, Laurie. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. All right. And next, I'd like to introduce our our special guest for today's program. Uh, First timer on the Actus podcast, we have with us Adrian Comeray. Uh, Adrian serves as a regulatory specialist teaching the certified coder bootcamp programs. She's an instructor with extensive knowledge of inpatient coding guidelines, as well as E&M and auditing guidelines, um, has a lengthy career in healthcare with many years of experience, including coding, auditing, training, and compliance expertise. Uh, prior to joining us uh, at HC Pro, she was a coding auditor and medical assistance program specialist with the Washington State Healthcare Authority's Clinical Review Unit working within the state's Medicaid program. So I'm very uh, excited to have her on today's show to talk a little bit about uh, laceration repairs. I wanna welcome her on, so thanks, Adrian. Thank you, Brian, I'm glad to be here. All right, absolutely. All right, as we always do, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. I'm going to go ahead and get that launched for our audience. Okay. Um, So the question reads, does your CDI department review laceration repair documentation for improvement opportunities? And your options are yes, regularly, occasionally, very rarely or never, don't know, or not applicable. Again, does your CDI department review laceration repair documentation in the health record for potential improvement opportunities? Uh, Yes, this is a regular occurrence, something we do occasionally, uh, very rarely or never, don't know, or not applicable. All right, we've got about 75% of our audience, close to 80% of our audience that have voted. Give you one more moment here. And then we'll go ahead and uh, close that out. And as we always do, we will come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today is Adrian Comrie. Adrian, again, welcome to the show. just to provide our audience with some context, the, the genesis for today's show was a, a lengthy question received by a listener of the Actus podcast. As you guys probably all know, I do solicit those at the end of every show, bmurphy at actus.org, so keep those coming. 
but before we get to that, I, I wanted to hopefully, Adrian, hoping you can talk a little more broadly about sort of laceration repair coding and I-10 PCS in general. Um, you know, not all of our audience is coding professionals, so what the code range is, and, and maybe it's just some, what what is it that makes this particularly uh, tricky or difficult? Thanks, Brian. Yeah, in ICD-10 uh, PCS, the procedural coding system, the root operation of repair, it's almost kind of like a not elsewhere classified kind of root operation. Um, some people refer to it as like a dump code. Um, the official definition of that root operation for repair, it's kind of vague. The definition states um, restoring to the extent possible, a body part to its normal anatomic structure and function. So laceration repairs definitely falls within that uh, definition um, of that root operation. <clears throat> uh, colostomy takedown is another example that is stated in uh, the root operation definitions in the ICD-10 PCS manual. Uh, also regarding these uh, repairs, um, there is an official guideline uh, for ICD-10 PCS. It's the official guideline B3.5 regarding overlapping body layer, layer, layers. Excuse me. Hmm. That guideline states if the root operations, uh, there are three of them, so excision repair inspection, if these are performed on those overlapping layers, um, the body part specifying that deepest layer needs to be coded, needs to be identified within that PCS code. So if they're doing perhaps like an excisional debridement, they're debriding the skin, the subcutaneous tissue muscle, you're going to go all the way down and identify that muscle uh, body system. So it's the same thing um, with uh, repairs. You have to identify that deepest uh, body uh, system. So you have to be in the correct body system to assign the correct code. So the way that a PCS code is broken down, and we're just going to kind of get back to basics here, you've got those seven characters. And the first character obviously identifies the section of um, the manual. And I'm old school, I code from the book. <clears throat> so the section for these is going to be the medical surgical uh, section, the med surge section. And the second character, <clears throat> excuse me, identifies the body system. So you've got these body systems. You have skin and breast. You have subcutaneous, well, skin and breast is like that top layer. Subcutaneous tissue and fascia, that's the next deepest layer into the body system. Then you've got down the muscle and then bone. However, there might be some instances where you're going to have to go to the anatomical regions, which is uh, that body system that's towards the back of the med surge section, um, to identify more broad ranges. So of the anatomical regions, you have general, and then you have upper or lower extremities. So from there, uh, then you identify the root operation, and repair is the one that we've been uh, focusing on. From there, you've got um, you, you've got your body uh, the body parts that they're repairing. So you're in your body system, and then you're going to get a specific 
body part, so what part of the skin, what area are you uh, repairing? <clears throat> Excuse me. Then you have the approach. How did you get there? Is this an open? Um, is this external? Um, the device, are they leaving anything behind afterwards? Now, when we're talking about the device character, suturing material is not counted as a device. When they're talking about devices, they're really specific. Um, and like uh, if, they're, if they're doing any type of procedure where they're using perhaps mesh um, or an internal fixation device, but that's not something that would be that repair root operation. And then a qualifier, more often than not, um, there isn't anything There isn't anything in uh, that uh, qualifier that would be identified, so it would be that seventh character of C. So again, these codes are going to be in the med search section. Uh, even uh, perineal lacerations that are sustained during a vaginal delivery, the repair of those are going to be in that med search section. It all depends on how deep that laceration um, occurs. So those are kind of some general uh, uh, ideas and concepts to keep in mind when you're talking about this repair coding in PCS. Got it. Thanks, Adrian. Sounds like the mm -hmm. determining that layer of, of depth uh, of the of the repair is a is a key guideline here. Yes, and it's always it sometimes is not clearly written by the physician. So I'm I'm going to change the focus a little, Adrian, because you're a former auditor, and anytime I'm talking to an auditor, I have a question that I like to ask. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any patterns that you've seen in physician documentation um, that lead to inaccurate coding practices, either um, over or under coding? Um, for example, non-specific terminology or general insufficiencies. Are there are there things that you noticed working as an auditor that might help the CDIs listening today? Yes. the The thing is, with physician documentation, they're not required to use the exact same terminology uh, in the PCS system. So you'll see this quite often in physician documentation. They use that term repair for a lot of different things that aren't necessarily a repair. Um, if they're talking about, um, you know, gosh, you know, repairing um, perhaps um, a, a, an, an aortic aneurysm. Well, you know, is that a repair or you reading through that documentation, is that perhaps a bypass or is it perhaps a supplement for an operation? So oftentimes they'll use a term, providers might document a term uh, for a specific uh, surgery that doesn't necessarily follow the, um, the, the definition of that root operation. And it's states in the official guidelines of PCS, it's not their responsibility. They don't have to match the terminology. And as coders and CDI, we're not supposed to be querying the providers to tell, you know, asking them to change their documentation to match that terminology. It's our responsibility as coders and CDI to understand this, uh, the, the PCS terms and to read through that entire operative report, to read through that note and uh, identify that actual correct root operation. 
So sometimes that could lead to overcoating. Sometimes that could lead to undercoating. Um, it, we do definitely need specificity, um, but we do have to, you know, we it's our responsibility to make sure that that particular operation does fit that particular, uh, that operative note fits into the description of that RIT operation. Thank you. I, I think the, the best advice you gave, and I'm going to repeat it so everyone hears it, is we have to read the entire op note. We can't, oh, just, yes. go, we can't just go by the statement at the beginning or a statement at the mm -hmm. end. Um, so for those that are looking at PCS, um, assigning PCS codes, we've got to read the whole story. We can't just um, make an assumption halfway through. So I appreciate that you said that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and one more thing to keep in mind, the closure of an operative incision doesn't qualify as repair. Closing the patient up after surgery, that's an integral part, part of that surgical procedure. Um, and also there are other root operations that, um, Again, when you read through that, it, it's like, well, was that perhaps maybe a transfer? Like if they're doing a flap repair, that actually is that root operation of transfer where they're moving um, all or a portion of a body part to another location to take over that function, uh, but that body part remains connected to its vascular and nervous supply. So other things to keep in mind. Perfect. All right. I think we all like reading a good op note from time to time, so keep taking <laughs> Um, so I did mention at the outset, this, this show uh, came from a, a listener's question, so I'm going to ask this question. It's a bit long, but it definitely pertains to what you talked about earlier, Adrian, and so bear with me. I'm going to summarize just a bit before I get to the question, um, but the, 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 the listener asked, I have a question regarding laceration repairs of the scalp or anywhere on the body where multiple body layers are very thin. The research I have done includes this emergency medicine education from the University of Washington uh, titled Roberts Clinical Procedures and Emergency Medicine 5th Edition on page 14 which states several exceptions exist to the general rule of multi-layered closure. The adipose layer of soft tissue should not be closed separately. A fat stitch is not necessary because little support is provided by closure of the adipose layer. An additional suture material may increase the possibility of infection. Scalp wounds are generally closed in a single layer for lacerations penetrating the dermis and fingers, hands, toes, and feet, and in the sebaceous skin of the nasal tip, the amount of subcutaneous tissue is too small to warrant layered closure. In fact, subcutaneous stitches uh, may leave tender nodules in these sensitive locations. Layered closure is not recommended in wounds without tension. Those with poor vascularity and those with a moderate or high risk of infection. With single layer closure, and I underline this part, the surface stitch should be placed more deeply. So then they ask, you know, ICD-10 PCS repair, and you referenced this, Adrian, being restoring to the extent possible body part to its normal anatomic structure and function. And the, and the uh, listener goes on to ask, with lacerations of the thinner tissue areas of the body, it seems that even simple laceration repairs will include multiple layers, such as skin, subcutaneous tissue, and fit ICD-10 PCS instruction to the code to the deepest layer repaired. And they say, this brings up the controversy that very simple repairs, possibly even with just staples, could technically meet the criteria for a subcutaneous laceration repair of the scalp. Question mark. 
Should we stay true to ICD-10 PCS, code to the deepest layer repaired, and educate providers that if the scalp laceration goes through the skin and into any subcutaneous tissue, and the intent of the provider is to close that laceration by restoring to the extent possible these layers of tissue, that it should be documented, or to code it just to skin. So they've talked to many different colleagues inside and outside their facility, wondering how to handle um, this scenario. Um, they say the only literature they've been able to come up with regarding laceration repairs only states to code to the deepest layer repaired. Um, and they admit that this could have impact on DRG assignment and so forth. So they're wondering how to kind of handle these scenarios and wondering what you are thinking here, Adrian. Tough question for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so when when I was reading through that, the thing that uh, jumped out at me was, you know, bringing up the controversy that very simple repairs, possibly even with the staples, could technically meet the criteria of a subcutaneous laceration repair of the scalp. So I think the issue here, and for me as a coder, this is what jumped out at me. I think there might be some confusion in combining CPT guidelines with ICD-10 PCS guidelines. When we're talking about CPT, which is uh, you know the, the five-digit uh, codes for professional uh, billing, uh, their definition of a simple repair is for a superficial wound involving primarily the epidermis or dermis or subcutaneous tissue without significant involvement of deeper structures and requires simple one-layer closure. But that does not cross over to PCS. With PCS, it's not the same guideline. Coders uh, and CDI, they have to stay true to the ICD-10 PCS uh, uh, guidelines and code to that deepest layer repaired. So if that scalp laceration does go through the skin into any subcutaneous tissue and the intent is to close that laceration by restoring it to the extent possible, the layers of tissue, that it needs to be documented like that. So um, it, it, when you're looking at that, if it's down into the subcutaneous tissue, then you're going to be pulling from the subcutaneous tissue and fascia body system for that, those repairs, the first three characters are these zero J cues. So that's the subcutaneous tissue and fascia. It, it can impact a DRG. Uh, the zero HQ uh, tables for creating these PCS codes for repairs of the skin, um, they're still going to be in the surgical uh, portion of the major diagnostic categories. So major diagnostic category 9 for skin and subcutaneous tissue um, or MDC 21 for injuries or MDC 24 for multiple significant traumas. The 0JQ, you're going to have more major diagnostic categories. Um, I was looking at some of the codes and playing around with them. I saw that some of these fall into major diagnostic category one for the nervous system uh, for those repairs of possibly like scalp in the hand, uh, major diagnostic category eight for musculoskeletal and connective tissues, et cetera. So it, it can, whether or not this necessarily impacts payment, uh, that, you know, that it all depends. It's, it's a case-by-case -case, uh, scenario. But what it boils down to, again, reading through the operative note and assigning it to that correct body system. 
if they're repairing it and they are restoring it to the extent possible back to its you know, normal uh, structure um, and it involves the subcutaneous tissue, then I would choose a subcutaneous tissue and fascia. But again, I'm wondering if there's some, you know, mixing up of the guidelines between uh, CPT and ICD-10, so, uh, ICD-10-PCS. So that's my, uh, that was my impression. Gotcha. So it could be that, you know, I mean, we know CPT is important, but for professional billing and perhaps someone was referencing those in the, in the context of PCS. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> Try to get at that answer. We appreciate it, Adrian. That that was very helpful. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Okay. Brian, did you <laughs> want to go to question. the poll? No, no uh, I didn't yeah. know whether you wanted me to ask another question or you wanted to go to the poll. I'm looking yeah, at. Yeah, we're, we're we're getting close on time. Maybe just um, you know um. Just to wrap up here, because we're, we're at about 10 of, and I do want to go back to the poll, but any 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 last-minute uh, resources or other places you might recommend our listeners go to learn more, Adrian, um, clinical or coding or mm -hmm. any favorite websites or other recommended resources you can point people towards who want to learn more about this uh, this topic? Mm -hmm. Coding clinics, of course, staying current um, and, and up to date uh, with uh, the advice uh, published uh, in the coding clinics that come out quarterly um, from AHA. Uh, definitely you know, reading through those to see whether or not there are any updates on uh, guidance for uh, repairs. I did um, some research uh, uh, on uh, prior coding clinics um, to see if there was any extra pieces of information. It seems like a lot of them had, uh, you know, were referring more deeper repairs um, in like more you know, of the different types of body systems. Also another uh, resource that not a lot of people refer to, um, the ICD-10 PCS reference manual on the CMS website. Yes, it was published when ICD-10 first came out in 2016 and it has not been updated since. So there are some sections of the PCS manual um, that have changed since then. However, when it comes to laceration uh, repairs and the root operation of repair, the guidance is still the same. Um, and the PCS uh, reference manual gives more detailed information. It also gives you other examples of uh, those particular types of uh, of these surgeries that would be classified as a repair. Gotcha. Thank you. Right. That's helpful. And a helpful comment from one of our listeners who just said they would recommend all CDI staff to query for depth of repair if not if not documented. So that might be something mm -hmm. to consider as well. All right. Well, let's let's go back to our poll question. Again, we asked. Um, does your CDI department review laceration repair documentation for improvement opportunities? And the results are 35% of our listeners say yes regularly. So that was a narrow um, margin over very rarely or never at 34%. <laughs> so kind of an interesting split there. A lot, many of them do this regularly. Many of them uh, rarely do this mm -hmm. or never, never do uh, review mm -hmm. laceration repair. 13% occasionally, 11% don't know, and 7% not applicable. 
So curious what you guys thought of these uh, poll results. Kind of a kind of an interesting split there. I can say that I kind of expected it this way because in my travels, either CDIs are very active looking at op reports and and determining the ICD-10 PCS codes um, and other departments that I talk to, they they don't spend a lot of time looking at those PCS codes. They def they defer to the coders. So um, when I look at that very close yes and very rarely or never, it kind of makes sense to me that way because it depends on their how well they've been educated with PCS and the support they have with their coding staff related to that. So it kind of made sense to me. I don't know what you think, Adrian. I'm wondering if some of the CDI um, spe specialists that responded to the poll, if they work in like specific departments that won't even deal with a laceration mm -hmm. repair. You know, they're they're just in cardiology. They're just in um, perhaps like a, a you know, a cancer type of uh, facility that laceration repairs wouldn't be something that they would even come across. That could kind of explain why we have that almost dead even split. Good point. Yeah, it could it could be they're just in a facility, you're absolutely right, facility that would, they wouldn't typically review for this, but um, interesting. All right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, switch to our in the news segment of the program. Uh, in the news is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Uh, you should be seeing this on your screen. It's an article I wanted to share uh, published on medscape.com titled Physicians Often Unsure of Diagnoses and under, Underestimate Error Rates. So, um, just to quickly summarize from the article, um, it reads, although clinicians are often unsure of diagnoses, they tend to underestimate the rate of diagnostic errors and frequently fail to recognize how diagnostic testing affects patients, according to a study published online May 15th in the uh, Journal of General Internal Medicine. Um, there's some folks quoted about this article. Uh, Thylen would with Jessica, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, who's from Yale University School of Medicine, New Haven, Connecticut, says, perhaps the most striking finding was that physicians often feel unsure of diagnoses, regardless of setting or experience. Um, and then in an interview with Medscape Medical News, uh, Dr. Newman Toker of Johns Hopkins emphasized that diagnostic uncertainty is a fact of life in medicine, and that diagnostic errors cannot be completely avoided. I'm going to just scroll down here. By the way, there's a lot of interesting comments, many of them from physicians on this article. recommend you check that out if you haven't already. Um, basically, there was a survey of residents and attending physicians from nine Connecticut internal medicine training programs to gain insight into how clinicians make diagnoses and deal with diagnostic error. Uh, the NAM report highlighted five key factors that have a negative effect on physicians' ability to make correct diagnoses. Um, those included things like time constraints during the diagnostic process. Uh, that was the highest, actually, as the factor that most hindered their ability to render a diagnosis. Um, almost half of physicians in both inpatient and outpatient settings indicated feeling diagnostic uncertainty every day. 
And despite the challenges of the diagnostic process, however, most responders reported that they did not consistently think about the advantages and risks of diagnostic testing. And um, most believe that diagnostic errors were uncommon, which is in, interestingly, the, the article points out in stark contrast with findings in uh, the NAM report, which indicated that diagnostic errors arrive arise, excuse me, in 10 to 15% of patient encounters. So physicians here expressing some uncertainty with um, the, you know, rendering a diagnosis, often not aware of sometimes the, the, the uh, risk of error here as, as opposed to some of the objective survey data that's out there. Uh, interesting report, I, I share it here because I know um, CDI professionals are often um, how should I say it? They're, they're, they, they can be frustrated sometimes with the unable to determine response on query forms, and and it just again demonstrates that being you know rendering a diagnosis as a physician is very challenging and, and fraught with difficulty, especially given the amount of patients they're seeing and the time constraints. And thought it worth sharing for some context about this difficult process and. A um, little bit of insight into the mind of what's going on with physicians. I thought it was a pretty good article and worth checking out. Curious if you had any thoughts at all, Adrian and or Laurie, on this piece? I can uh, start with, you know, I think this is a perfect example of we need to look at our physicians with a little more compassion about how difficult their job is. Um, you know, medicine is not only uh, science, but it's an art, and they um, are constantly trying to perfect it. The, it's, the sentence about time constraints really catches me because they are so busy. And, you know, to adequately assess a patient and work them up and view all the diagnostic tests, that takes time. Um, and we're expecting them to see more, do more every day. So I think we as CDIs just need to always remind ourselves when we're getting a little frustrated with the physicians um, that just like our job is difficult, theirs is difficult as well. And I think they do want to work with us, but there are times um, when that unable to determine is the right answer to a query. And, um, you know, I have to remind myself on a daily basis, sometimes working with physicians, they're the only ones that can determine the right answer to our questions. And we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're actually trying to answer us correctly. And most importantly, they're trying to care for the patient as appropriate as possible. Right. Thanks, Laurie. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Also, from a coding perspective, remember, we do have the option for unspecified codes. And I know a lot of coders and CDI folks, they think, well, wait a minute, no, we're supposed to get the most specificity. Well, those, those unspecified codes exist for a reason. Um, right. And CMS does still accept those, um, those, those codes. Also, the signs and the symptoms, um, also for inpatient uh, coding uh, guidelines. You can code for those conditions, you know, concerned for um, possible still to be ruled out, you can code those as if those existed um, because the provider is working, you know, working up, at, you know, working on deciding whether or not treating is for that condition. So there are 
you know, there's a little bit of leeway, I guess you could say, with the coding guidelines for inpatient. You do have options for unspecified, and you can still code for those conditions uh, that they're, you know, concerned for. They still need to rule out or uncertain about. Yep. Mm -hmm. Good point, Adrian. I've often heard to unspecified codes. Unfortunately, referred heard people refer to them occasionally as like junk codes, but I, I agree they're they're there for a reason, and oftentimes they're there they're, for a reason. Right, exactly. Okay, um, let's wrap up here briefly with Actus update. Uh, this is a regular feature bringing you what's going on inside of Actus. I wanted to just do a quick recap. I know we're past the top of the hour, but um, just want to mention what a terrific 12th annual Actus conference we had May 20 to 23rd uh, in Orlando, Florida. This is, of course, our first Actus podcast since the conference ended. Um, I know myself and my staff are still brimming with energy and excitement after meeting more than 1,800 CDI professionals and exhibitors from around the country. Uh, it's, it's one of our it, it is our best time of year. You know, it's it's a it's a lot of work to bring this conference to fruition. I, I described it often as a wedding on steroids. Um, <laughs> but really, it's it's a, a great opportunity to meet with our members. I've heard many folks met many folks there who are regular listeners to the Actus podcast, and great to put faces with names. Um, it was an amazing program. I don't know if you had any thoughts, Laurie. I'm going to just share maybe a couple pictures if you want to talk about any highlights that uh, you had from the program oh goodness um, highlights <laughs> I think I think the the biggest thing is just watching our members network and work with each other and share um, you know you've got a picture there of uh, the board members oh I love that picture I hadn't seen it um, <laughs> it's um, it's just nice to get together with people that think and do and understand what you do and to um, to just share that energy and, and knowledge. Um, I always come home just like excited and a head brimming of ideas about um, just, just knowing that there are people out there like me. And I think sometimes, especially those that work at small hospitals or areas where they don't mix a lot with um, other members or people that do, that work within the profession, it's just cool to be around people that think like you and understand what you're saying. And um, it's, you can see it, people smiling, having fun and going home with a long to-do list of things that they'd like to implement at their facilities and areas which they wanna grow. It's um, a great, great time. I appreciate that I get to go every year. Yeah, I'm showing pictures from our exhibit hall and we had a, a vendor that had, uh, um, what are these comfort called? Dogs. Comfort, comfort dogs. Comfort dogs. Yeah. It was yeah. that was a great idea. I showed one from 3M. They're um, they had a their artist who sketches and it appears on a digital screen. Amazing art. Um, this is our poster session. I call this a mini con conference unto itself. Uh, people mm -hmm. sharing ideas. Some of our attendees on their apps. We have uh, live polls during the. Um, the program, and this is uh, this is our OI, one of our OIG speakers who's talking with folks uh, after the presentation about people got to hear directly from the Office of Inspector General, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a great one. I enjoyed that one tremendously. Yeah, 
All right. Well, that is going to do it. I know we're past the top of the hour, and I, we we are going to let you uh, let you go here. So I hope you can join us again. We're actually back uh, a little bit off schedule, so we're coming back for a special episode next week. Usually, we're an every other week program. We are going to do a special uh, episode next week on the fiscal year 2020 IPPS proposed rule and the many changes therein. But again, want to thank Adrian for joining us today, and Laurie, of course, and as as I always say, and that's how we got today's topic. If you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. Take care, everyone. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>